0: dive in. We got work to do today. So if you don't have your Bibles open already, go ahead and do that The Joshua. Really five and six is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, burn the boats? Maybe you have, yes, we got, we got one, yes. I know there's a few nodding heads. Uh, burn the boats. There's some very, various interpretations of uh, where it came from and the, the version of the story, but I think the, the lesson is the same throughout whatever version, and it goes like this. In the year 1519, um, Spanish explorer and conqueror, uh, Hernan Cortez, or Hernan Cortez, um, he and his 600 men on 11 ships, landed in the Yucatan um, to take over the Aztec Empire, which was modern-day Mexico. And so as they landed there, uh, they quickly came to the realization that they were grossly outnumbered by the opposition. They were ill-equipped for the battle that faced them. So doubt and fear uh, kind of began to spread through Cortez's army. So in order for him to unite his men, Uh, to, To kind of pull them back in and also to motivate and eliminate the possibility of retreat, Cortez burned the boats. It was no turning back now, right? It's do or die. They could only go forward. They could not go backwards. That is the scene that we find ourselves today in, in the book of Joshua, the study we're going to do today. The Israelites had, had finished their, their 40 years of the school of hard knocks in the wilderness, right? So they, they've come out of that. They're on a mission to take the promised land. And, and they just come across, God had just miraculously uh, parted a mile-wide raging river Jordan. So they've crossed that. They're standing on dry ground. They look up, and they see the very first city, Jericho. Jericho, a a mighty, mighty city filled with mighty, mighty warriors. That's the scene. They're looking up. They're ill-equipped. For this battle Jericho was uh, full of mighty warriors a well-fortified city with big high walls they were considered invincible and then you have the Israelites they were very vincible. they were a ragtag bunch of guys ill-equipped no weapons and this is the scene they're looking at Jericho and here's what God did God Uh, so to speak he burned the boats they had just crossed the Jordan and so he brought the dam down the waters flooded so there was nowhere they could go they couldn't go backwards it was now no turning back no retreat it was fight or die for the Israelites so that's the picture that's the narrative we see as we picked up in the text today with Joshua 5 13 Uh, is really where we're kind of Timotope kind of read for us today. So here's what we're going to do. In this passage slash story we're going to see today, the famous story of Jericho, the walls, Joshua, those kind of things, what I want us to do and what I want us to walk out with today is this. We're going to see three things about who God is in this text. I want us, by the end of our time together, walking out, I want God to be bigger to us. Not God be bigger, because God can't be bigger than he already is, but I do want God to be bigger to us in this text. Um, I, I'm, I'm currently reading a book. It was a book that Jordan actually gave to me for my birthday. It's a book called Deeper um, by a guy named Dane Orland. And in, it, in the cover, there is a, a story that reminded me, and it's a quote from uh, the book Prince Caspian in the Chronicle of Narnia series. And it it documents the conversation between Lucy and Aslan. And I want you to listen to this. And it goes like this. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, Aslan. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face of Aslan. He said, welcome, child. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Aslan said, that is because you are older, little one. And she said, not because you are. And Aslan said, I am not but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every time we open up the scriptures, there is an opportunity to find God bigger. Every time that you gather with your life group, your discipleship group, and you open up the Bible, there's an opportunity for God to be bigger to you. Every Lord's Day gathering, every time we come here, is an opportunity for God to be bigger to us. And so in this text, that's what I hope. I hope we walk out today with a bigger understanding of who God is. Three things that we're going to see in the story. That God is a warrior king. Second thing we're going to see is that God is a gracious king. And the last thing we'll see is that God is a just king king. All right? That's what we're going to do because that's that's the primary reason and way that we read our Bibles, by the way. This is not a self-help book. It has nuggets of wisdom for our lives. Yes, that is very true. But the primary reason for this book is to know God, that God will become bigger to us. And it's also my primary responsibility as a pastor is to help you see and increase the size of God in you, that God would become bigger. So let's do this today. And the first point I want you to see is this, that God is this warrior king. That God is this warrior king. Uh, Timotope read in, at the end of chapter five, in verse 13 through 15, this idea, this encounter that Joshua had with a man carrying a sword. Um, that, that's the picture. As Joshua was, was healing from his uh, elective self-circumcision surgery, that's what was going on there. He's healing and he has this encounter with this man yielding a sword. So what's going on here as we see that? There's a conversation that begins to happen. This man has a a sword drawn, a sword in hand, and there begins to be this encounter back and forth between Joshua and this warrior. We're told here in the text as we read, there's a conversation that really mirrors the conversation that Moses had with God in the burning bush. Take your sandals off or you're standing on holy, holy ground. We see Joshua gr- gr- going straight to the ground, his face straight down. He's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the commander of the Lord's army. This is none other than Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. This is what is known theologically as a Christophany, an appearance, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. Not incarnation, not in flesh, but a manifestation, an appearance of Jesus Christ. This is the commander of the Lord's army with sword drawn, sword in hand. He is a man of war. Exodus he says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So Jesus Christ is this warrior king who appears to Joshua. The conversation, uh, Joshua is in his fear. says, are you for us or against us? And the Lord answers, no. <laughs> that was his response, no. <laughs> it's, he's saying, neither. I'm neither for you or against you. I am I am, I am fighting the, the Lord's battle. I am fighting God's battle here. That's what he said. I'm on the side of God. That's what I'm doing here. And quickly we see that Joshua knows as he's in the presence of God and he goes straight down to the ground, face down, worshiping because this is Jesus Christ. And he says, what shall I do? What do you want me to do, Lord, in this battle that we're about to face? And then, of course, chapter six begins with the Lord giving Joshua... The instructions, how this whole thing is going to go down. And that's where I want to pick up some reading here. A great way to look at chapter 6 in our understanding is in verses 1 through 5, it is the Lord giving the instructions to Joshua. Uh, And then in 6 through 21 is the execution of the Lord's commands. And then what we see at the very end is uh, and verses 22 through 27 is the aftermath of a victory, what happened after the walls fell. All right, so let's look at the first piece here. These are the instructions that the Lord gave to Joshua, just in verses 1 through 5. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every one straight before him. We're seeing here, the picture is that Jericho was on lockdown, lock up, lock in, whatever. No one's coming in, no one's coming out. Jericho is a city um, that quite honestly, it was only about seven acres big. We think cities, we think Smyrna, Laverne, Murphy. No, this Jericho is about seven acres big. That, put that in perspective. That's like lapping the church. <laughs> that's about what it is. We got 80 acres on this property, only seven acres. That's what it would take for them to lap around, but they have these high walls, well fortified walls. No one's getting in, and no one's coming out of Jericho massive really israel wasn't realistically wasn't a physical threat to jericho and jericho i mean israelites again i told you they were they were ill equipped from the battle they don't have battering rams they don't have guns and knives they're 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 seriously outmanned here this is not a strategic military operation they are the underdogs they are the saint peter's versus everybody else in the tournament <laughs> All right, they have no shot here. And yet, God says something to them. Don't miss this. This is a great thing to underline. He says, see, I have given you the city and all its inhabitants. Isn't that ironic? He, that, that God says, see, when the, all they see is defeat? <laughs> I mean, they, they can't, with a human eye, No, they don't see God, right? And yet he says, See, I have given you the land and all of its inhabitants. That's a past tense, by the way. Actually, in Hebrew, it's called prophetic perfect tense. And it simply means God is declaring victory even before Israel has lifted a finger. It's already declared. Yeah, he's got some instructions to give them in just a minute. But it's a promised victory. He wanted them to know as they stepped into this battle that they were fighting from victory and not for victory. The same way that he wants you and I to know. We're in a battle. Jerichos are all around the world. We're fighting from victory, not for victory victory. Now, he goes on to give the instructions. March around the city once a day, and it would be like this huge line of people. Now, in the front of the line are the warriors, the, the fighters. They're up front, and then followed by them is the seven priests carrying seven ram's horns, followed by the ark, Right, and then all of the other people. Now, there's a couple of things that these represent. Number one, the priest carrying the ram's horns, that was a signifying of a conquering king was coming. That's what they did in the ancient world. When they blew the ram's horn, it was a sign, the king is coming, the king is coming. So that's what they're doing as they are marching around every single day. Now, as they do this for six straight days, the ark again, that was the, representing the presence of God as they used that across the Jordan. They did this for six days in a row, the exact same things, six days in a row. Now, this is probably a questionable military operation. I think we would all agree that they're probably kind of like, "Huh." Ah what's going on here? I, I, I would think that they might have been prone to question the uh, strategies of Joshua. You know, Joshua, you know, he was a commander of the army. He, it wasn't like he wasn't a fighter. He'd been a great fighter. But yet this is what he comes up with to take down Jericho? So what does the Lord tell Joshua and his men to do as they march around, not all, all people to march around? He tells them, while you march, I need you to keep quiet. Don't say a single word as you're marching around the city for six days. Don't let a word come out of your mouth. Only the blowing of the horn. But don't you speak. Don't you grumble. Don't you question me. I think they would have been prone to question God. I mean, right? That was their... Resume, too, right, in the wilderness? They were great grumblers and great complainers, and now this, and it is as if God does this. It's like he lines them up as kindergartners down the hallway and says, shut up and obey. That's what he does. Shut up and obey. Just when the Lord speaks, don't talk back to the Lord. When he clearly gives us something in the Scriptures, a clear command, Even sometimes to us, it seems questionable. Really? Don't date someone who doesn't follow Jesus if you follow Jesus? That's a little crazy. It's a little extreme. Um, Don't move in with someone who's not your spouse? That's a little archaic, God. I mean, really? Talking back to God. Tithe? Oh, that's crazy. I just don't understand this, God. Surely you don't. Talking back to God. Oh, we're so prone to talk back to God all the time. Give Jesus all of my life? Everything? Really? Commit to worshiping in a place where other people love Jesus? Commit to that every week? I mean, can I just come every once in a while? Really? Man, we are so prone to grumble and complain, and question the very simplistic, clear commands in the scripture. And it is if God sometimes just has to tell me, hey, R.C., shut up and obey. Proverbs 7, two says this, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. When God speaks, church, (laughs) it's good to obey. It is not good to talk back, complain, justify, question. The living God will always lose. Obey the commandments and live and live. Back to the narrative. Can you imagine, though, as I said, when they got the plan to take Jericho? They probably thought that it was more like some kind of football game or a battle of the bands i mean these guys marching are you kidding me they're gonna do this over no weapons no bullets like uh, nothing six days of this over and over and over again this was a comical military operation why is it that god gave them this specific instructions to take jericho because god wanted them to know, Israel to know, the world to know that this was his battle to fight. It was the Lord's battle. And at the very end of this battle that he wanted the world, including every citizen of Jericho, every citizen of Israel, and the whole world to know that it was God who brought the victory on this very day. Israel was to get no credit for this. No one was gonna run up to the trumpet players and say, Steve, you really hit it on that one. You you really hit that high C when when you blew that trumpet on that day. No one was gonna come up to Joshua and say, you spoke to me in your message. You really explained it in such a way that I got it, Joshua, great sermon. No, on this day, they all would know that all the glory, all the credit for the battle was the Lord and the Lord only. Verse 20 tells us how it all went down. They did march around the city seven times on the seventh day, and as God had said, the walls came tumbling down on that day, and it was all God, all God. For those that grew up in church, you probably heard a story and maybe even sang the song about Joshua fitting the battle of Jericho. Now, I'm not going to sing that because then I'd have to charge you for that, right? Uh, Like Spotify or something. But it was Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You might have heard that story and thought, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It's catchy, but it's wrong. God fit the battle of Jericho on this day. What good is it for us to know that God is a warrior king? Like you're probably sitting there saying, oh, great story. What does that have to do with me? Like I'm going to work tomorrow, I got stuff going on in my house right now. How is it good for me to know that God is a warrior king? Well, here, I'm glad you asked that question or I asked it for you, I don't know. Um, Listen, I don't know what kind of battle that you are in today or will be tomorrow. I, I, I would think that those battles consist of loneliness. Maybe you're battling cancer, kids' rebellion. Maybe you're battling addiction maybe you're battling against your flesh and sexual desires maybe you're battling pornography maybe you're battling gossip maybe you're battling family strife marital strife listen I'm not telling you that God is going to fight all of those battles in such a way that you come out and it comes out exactly the way that you want to He's not going to slay all your enemies with a sword physically. Like, I don't know those things. But here's what I do know. God is a warrior king who will always fight for your good, even when it doesn't feel good. All things work together for good for those who love Christ Jesus. He's always fighting for your good. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes his nap. And he never turns his back on you. He's always fighting for your good. But there's something better. God has already conquered your greatest Jericho in your life. Your sin Satan, death, he's already conquered it. He's already slain the dragon. He's done all of those things. He did it all himself, and he alone has said to you, see, I have given you salvation. I fight for you. I'm always for your good. I've already taken care of your greatest battle that you'll ever face in this world, in Christ Jesus And knowing that, knowing that your greatest Jericho has been dealt with on the cross, now we can navigate through these smaller, temporal, momentary battles that in the end, they won't stand. That is how we know that God fights for us. And how does he do it? How did God do that? Not in a way that we think that he would do it, right? God's foolish way to conquer sin, Satan, and death. It's foolish, right? Look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even that things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Get this. Get this good. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. On the cross for everyone who believes upon Jesus Christ the victory was all God. Our salvation was all God, from beginning to end, the Father planned it, the Son accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applies and secures it to the very end. No one's boasting in anything that they've done. He gets all the credit. He knocked down the walls in our hearts. Listen to what Paul said in Romans how he reminds us that salvation is the work of God 100%. It's called the golden chain of salvation or ordo salutis and it goes like this Romans 8:29 For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is what God did by saving us. He gets all the credit, all the glory, so that no man may boast. If you're a follower of Christ, let me ask you a question. Just getting back to that scene of burning the boats. You're in the battle, you're walking through the same world that I'm in. It's a fight every single day, it often looks uh, very daunting. Before us every time I turn the tv on or scroll through something it looks really bad It looks really daunting in the battle that we're facing today against all of the things that were the the gross sexual immorality the 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 insane wokeism that we're all like it looks really daunting to look at all the things that are happening But here's this good news that we see here again As we look out and we're fighting the battle May we remember that God will fight for us, that he's already accomplished the victory. So now we can burn the boats. We can burn the things that keep us back. There is no retreat. There's no turning back. We can move forward as victors, not cowardice victims. What boats might you need to burn in your life? That's a, that's a question. This is a great Christian uh, illustration. People use it, and they've been using it for a long time. What are the things in your life that are keeping you looking back? Oh, well, I'll, I'll try this Jesus thing, but I, I'm going this way if this doesn't work out. Church, burn the boats. Your boats might be career, money, fame, your personal dreams. These are the things that keep you with a plan B. There is no plan B for those in Christ. All in with Jesus Christ. He is a warrior king. Let's go to the second piece here. God is a gracious king. He's a gracious king. You might read this story, you're like, really? Gracious king? Total destruction? Jericho, where's the grace of God in this thing, right? Well, as they marched around the city for seven days, okay, why is God waiting seven days before he totally annihilated the city of Jericho? They deserved it. They knew who God was. They had heard the stories of who God was. They, unlike Rahab, did not surrender and submit to God. So he could have come in day one and blasted him. Why seven days? Well, there's a few different interpretations of why he waited. Uh, one would say that seven is the number of completion, right? As in creation and also perfection. So he, maybe he's just modeling creation again. And seven is the number of completion. So on the seventh day, the whole thing was complete, and then he just brought destruction. Maybe that's what he's doing here. It's a perfect plan of God. Uh, it could also be God testing his people. Everyday obedience. Everyday obedience. You see, the Lord didn't just call us to pray a prayer 20 years ago and be saved and not obey every day of our life. He didn't die for that kind of salvation in life. He's looking for people who with everyday obedience. And so I think as they get, go out on this, uh, this trip here, I think day one, I think they're good. I think they're like, yeah, let's go do it. let's be thorough. Day two, Okay, maybe maybe we missed something, Joshua. I mean, we should probably go do some more uh, reconnaissance, check the walls again, to make sure we're really casing out the place. But I think day three, four, five, and six, they're probably like, "What are you?" I mean, we've done this, Joshua, already five times. Is this really necessary? I think God was testing their everyday obedience. Remember, he, he told them to be quiet too. So I, I think there is a testing in there, as ridiculous as it may seem to us sometimes, but he's looking for everyday obedience. I, I do think it's those things, but I think there's something else that's happening here too. I think that he's waiting seven days because he is a gracious king giving the Canaanites in Jericho an opportunity to repent, He is a gracious, gracious king. And as he's going around, as the, uh, the, the priests are pronouncing the ram's horn, God is with us. The conquering king is coming. He's coming. He's coming. They do it every single day. God is graciously patient, giving Jericho a chance to repent. This same God... Joshua is the same God today. Graciously patient, waiting, calling everyone on the planet to return, repent, and turn to Christ. It's patient. How is he announcing that? If he's doing this and he hasn't returned yet... How is he pronouncing this repent, turn to Jesus, to the world? How are these horns getting blown today? Well, it comes from you and it comes from me, marching every single day, trumpeting the gospel, telling people to turn to Christ, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Over and over, every time we go out, we are to proclaim the gospel, to blow the trumpet, to tell people that a conquering king is coming back one day and you still have an opportunity to turn from self and turn to Christ. He is patient. But let's make sure that we do not misunderstand God's patience for indifference just because he tarries does not mean that he's not coming when every single person written in the lamb's book of life has been called by the trumpet oh he'll come then that's why he tarries today because he has not snatched up all of his church yet he's a gracious king I'll ask you a question today. Have you trusted your life with Jesus? We say things like that because I don't want to tell you, have you prayed a prayer? There was a movement that happened over 100 years ago out of a good heart to reach lost people. And it was a conference or a big gathering. And I just, it was just, hey, you just pray the prayer right where you sit it down. And you're good. You, you're, you're saved. It's just not in the scriptures. You, you won't find anything here that says pray a prayer. And then you're saved. I ask you a question. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you love him? Is he life To you. Will you, as he returns, will you perish or will you be saved? I want you to think about that today. As we look at this last piece here, that God is a just king. God is a just king. Now, the word just here, here's what I mean when I say God is a just king. We mean that God is a perfectly righteous, just king to all of his creatures on the face of the earth, meaning he'll be just and he'll reward all of those who trust in Jesus. He'll reward. That means he's just. He does what he says he's going to do, right? He judges rightly, but also God will punish the wicked, the wrongdoers, all of those who reject Jesus because Why? Because he's a just king. A just king. So the way we see this here in the story as the seventh day came and the priests are circling the city and they finally blast the last horn, the last trumpet sound with the shofar. The walls crumble down. What happens after the walls come down? Well, we know that Israel has victory but we also see a judgment on Jericho that if we're being quite honest, offends our modern sensibilities. Look at 621. According, This is the execution of what God told them to do. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. That's sobering. When you heard that story of Jericho as a child in kids' ministry, you, you, you probably don't remember that. Like, you probably don't read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards to your kids at night when they go to sleep. But yet, this is true. God devoted Jericho to total destruction. The only thing that survived was Rahab and her family as he's a just king, right? Because he promised Rahab, and he fulfills his promise. And so people read that story, and as I said, it defends modern sensibilities. This is a little extreme, God. I mean, come on, a little over the top? Or this isn't fair, God. How would a, why would a loving God bring destruction upon innocent people in Jericho? innocent people really do you know what they did in Jericho they worshiped the moon even though God had created them he had given them life they had turned to worshiping other gods as the Egyptians did worshiping the moon they lived however they wanted to they they were spiritualists, right they, they they worshiped creation and crystals and, and mysteries and science. And then they practiced human sacrifice. They killed kids. And then practiced gross sexual immorality. Innocent people? Really? No. The reality is in the scriptures, there are no such thing as innocent people. And we don't really want fair, do we? Do we we really want fair from God? Because if we want fair from God, all of us are citizens of Jericho. That's what we deserved. That's the wages of our sin. That's what we've earned. Do you really want fair? No, no one really wants fair. What we want is grace. We We want the grace of God. Not the fairness of God. So they were very deserving of all of this destruction. Now, we know that God didn't, He didn't every time bring this kind of destruction in the Old Testament, but we do know He did it quite often, didn't He? The flood of the earth, the plagues in Egypt, and here again we see the destruction of Jericho. These acts of judgment are foretaste of something. That is coming at the consummation of this world. This book, this story is not just history. It's prophecy. This little mini story of Jericho, the judgment God brings down, the horns trumpeting, all these things. This points to the day where the conquering King Jesus Christ comes, returns. To Ransom his people, the church, Israel, bring us final, ultimate victory, but to bring judgment on all people who do not worship Jesus. Look at Revelation 11, 15 through 18. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. If everyone knew today what everyone will know that day, then everyone would follow Jesus. If everyone today knew today what everyone is going to know this day, the whole world would worship Jesus. There is this great day. When the city of man When all of the Jerichos of the world, and they're all around us, there is a day. Seems like it's getting closer to me, the way I I see things. I don't want to be a pessimist, but I look at the world, I see Jerichos all around. Cities, citizens doing the same things that they did in Jericho, worshiping false gods, non-spiritual spiritualists, the influences of culture, politicians, celebrities, Hollywood, media, all Jericho who do not love and worship Jesus. They are trying to murder truth. Of God's word and they're trying to wash our brains to believe as they do they are citizens of Jericho there there are citizens of Jericho all around us it's not just the world system they're individual citizens of Jericho all around us too who build up walls and fortresses in their life to keep God out Oh, I want to live my life how I want to. God, here's a wall. Don't come into this. Here's a wall. Don't you dare cross into this. Trying to keep God out of their life. Listen, there's going to be a day that if you do not turn to Jesus Christ, oh, he's going to knock down those walls. He's going to blow them up, and it'll be a day of judgment. But oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you receive Jesus Christ He beautifully knocks down the walls of your heart, gives you life. You become a citizen of Israel and the church, no longer a citizen of Jericho, all the gift of Jesus Christ. What side are you on today? I think that's what the commander of the Lord's army was asking Joshua What side are you on today? All humans on the face of the earth, pulse, heartbeat, are either citizens of Jericho today or they are citizens of God. Abe Lincoln, during the Civil War, was asked this question. Abraham, are, are you, do you believe that God is on the north side? He said this. I'm not concerned if God is on my side. My concern is if I'm on God's side. Whose side are you on today? Whose side are you on? I know this, that apart from God's grace, I'm on the side of Jericho. Not by my power, not by my might, because I have given my life to Jesus Christ, and therefore I'm on the side of God. Whose side are you on today? Make sure that you know. Make sure that you have confidence. The way that you change your status as a citizen is not by doing good works. Hear me. Hear the gospel today. The gospel message that says Christianity is not you doing all the things you hate to do and then not doing all things you love to do. That is not Christianity. Christianity is not you bringing your goodness to God and hoping to gain heaven. If you are trusting in your good works today and your good deeds to erase the bad, hoping to get God in heaven today, you have a worthless religion and you are still lost in your trespasses and sins. And I say that in love because I'm trying to get you to surrender to you. I'm trying to get you to give up on you and to give in to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if today the band's going to come out, we're going to sing in just a minute. If you're someone here today, and I, I, listen, I think people come to church t- today in this kind of year, I think they come to hear the truth of God's word. I think people are starving for truth in our world today. Everything we see, we don't know what to believe, right? Right? I question everything. I never question this. And you can definitely guarantee that everything I've told you today is not my word. It's not my truth. It is the truth of a living God. And it is trustworthy. It's tried. It's tested. It stands all throughout all times. And no matter how many critics take a hammer to this, it doesn't bend. This is the truth of God's word today. So if you've heard how you can be a citizen of God, and you want to know Jesus Christ, please come talk to us. You can fill out a card, one of the blue things, you come talk to us on the way out. Man, grab somebody in here who you know that loves Jesus. Talk to them about the Lord. And if you are a follower of Christ, again, man, I I, I want you to know we're in a battle again. And that we're fighting from victory, not for victory. That no matter what battle you're facing in today, burn the boats, Trust God. He will fight for you. Obey the scriptures because God has given us the victory. Let me pray. Father, you are bigger to us today. than you were when we came in today. That is our greatest need, God. Yes, your word is so full of wisdom and truth and, 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 and ways that we can walk through life and good, good ways and works and all the things you've called us to do. But God, our greatest need is to, is to see you bigger every day of our lives. And so thank you, Lord, Jesus Christ, for showing us how big you are today. For you receive all the credit, the glory, the glory, for our salvation. So God, do that today. Knock down the walls of Jericho and the hearts of people here today who do not believe. Call them to yourself. And God, would you mobilize the church here today, specifically the church at Point Stewart's Creek, to fight. To fight because we know that you have fought for us, that you have achieved The victory in Christ Jesus, and we pray these things in his name.